I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 240 of Rendering Unconscious podcast. My guest today is Zach Elkins, an artist, promoter, organizer, and individuality activist based in Houston, Texas. You can find him on Instagram at humansimulator23, as well as at soundcloud.com at humansimulator23. You can also check out his anti-brand, Body Drip, at Instagram, body underscore drip, and at Vimeo, vimeo.com forward slash body drip. Supporting, showcasing, and documenting do-it-yourself underground culture, past, present, and future. As with most episodes of Rendering Unconscious Podcasts, there is a video of this discussion at YouTube. Visit Trapar Films' YouTube page. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube. Links to everything can be found on our main website, renderingunconscious.org. You can also follow me at Instagram and Twitter at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. And at TikTok at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23. Join us in September as Carl and I will have a four-week course on harnessing the magic and creative power of the cut-up method a la William Burroughs, David Bowie, and Genesis Peoridge. Visit morbidanatomy.org for links and more information. You can also check out psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T.org for more information about our psychoanalysis, art, and the occult series at Morbid Anatomy Museum. Events are all online. Join us at Patreon, where we produce exclusive content every week just for our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon community. Your support is so very appreciated. For more about the Temple of Psychic Youth or Topi, check out episode 154 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. Carl Abrahamson presents on the Temple of Psychic Youth. You can also check out his books, including A Culture, The Unseen Forces That Drive Culture Forward, and the Fenris Wolf series. Visit carlabrahamson.com. I got an interview that just came out um, with a with a buddy of mine who I was uh, speaking to online for a while. He's a a DJ and producer from Bristol, and his name's Longies, aka Dan. Shout out Dan. And um, he was was just um, a person that I felt was was kind of like at the forefront of 
like currently what's happening with um, like underground club music in that area. So I wanted to get in touch with him and, and he was actually uh, the second interview I did and uh, the first one that I uploaded. So I'm really new to it, um, but I had a lot of fun. It was really, seemed really organic. We just had a conversation right outside of a pub and, and uh, I'm glad I was able to, to get it down, get, get uh, what's going on. Cause I mean, music these days moves so fast. So I think it's important to sometimes sit down with people, especially like with uh, like contemporary underground stuff and, and just kind of get a, just get a grasp of what's happening. Cause you never know what, what'll, what things will look or sound like a month later, or, you know? Yeah. And I'm just glad to hear people talk about the underground because I feel like with the internet, everything like becomes on the ground really quick. Like everything ends up out there really fast. So uh, it's nice, nice that there's some people trying to do it in the underground scene. Yeah, it's, it's a changing landscape uh, constantly. And um, it's, I find it to be like a, a really interesting, exciting time compared to, let's say like the eighties or nineties, you can kind of, if you have the willpower, you can kind of be like your own machine. You know, you can kind of like create your own branding or, and uh, promote yourself and, and do it all. And um, there's, there's uh, some really interesting people in the underground that are taking advantage of that and using that in all kinds of weird different ways. And it's really like guerrilla warfare, you know? That's nice. It's good. So you were recently in the UK and the EU. Yeah, I just took um, my first little vacation out there, my first trip, uh, first time on a plane or anything like that. And um, I spent a couple of weeks out in Europe. Uh, first half of the trip, I was in uh, London and Bristol and then uh, where I did the Longies interview. And then uh, the second half of the trip, I was uh, in the Netherlands. So uh Part of that was in Amsterdam and then a small bit of that, which I have an, uh, another interesting interview that I'm very excited about was, uh, was with my buddy Boris who ran, uh, Toby Germany in the eighties. So I visited him at his house and, uh, just took some video of his archive, his amazing archive and, uh, had a really cool interview with him and that, that went, went really well as well. So. And what's your journey been like? How'd you get into Topi? So um, I got into it uh, the same way a lot of my friends did uh, through music. Um, I started kind of uh, branching out from uh, from kind of like the, the punk rock underground metal scene here in Houston and and started venturing out into electronic stuff in the early 2000s uh, when I started DJing. And um, when, around the age of like 23, 24, I got into like really experimental stuff. And, and uh, usually when you when you dig down that rabbit hole, you find you know, throbbing gristle, of course. And and uh, and if you dig deeper, that leads you to you know Coil and Psychic TV. So uh, I just came across this music. And uh, through people I had met online in uh, the witch house scene, which is kind of like 
um, of like a micro internet genre, like one of the early ones uh, from the early 2000s. And, and I, I asked a bunch of friends, I was like, what do you know about this, about this music? This seems really interesting. Seems to be like a lot more going on. Um, so I came across a, a couple of friends who, who knew quite a bit about it and, and, uh, we would just share imagery and, and any kind of information we find. It was all really scattered back then, uh, and just figure out what the heck was going on, what everybody was up to. And, uh, eventually found, uh, Facebook groups and, uh, talk to all kinds of people, uh, in groups and, or individually. And that led to me, uh, contacting people on the phone that were involved and getting in like, you know, conference calls with people. And, and then eventually I met, uh, I met Tom Banger online who, uh, ran the North American part of Topi, and he he was a big big help in com- connecting me to like Boris and and that's just where I'm at now. I'm I'm kind of uh, just reaching out to I guess key people, and when I say key people, I mean people that were like really heavily involved that aren't talked about a whole lot. Because you know when you're when you're researching this stuff or you're or you're interested in finding a lot about this stuff, you come across uh, you know of course Genesis P Orge quite a bit. It was obviously like the biggest part of it all, if not the, one of the most important people. And you don't hear a whole lot about um, people that were involved in the network as much. So I'm kind of uh, doing my best to document that in a way and and uh meet and interview as much people as possible because i think um especially with like i was saying earlier like how fast music and the internet goes um i i i think it would be a huge tragedy for something like topi to kind of just be lost in time you know because it was kind of like the internet right before the internet you know it was so so inspiring, especially for me, is to see these these DIY people um, sharing really rare information and kind of like helping each other uh, grow as individuals and and support each other. You know, because the the attitude uh, and mindset of the internet these days, I would say, is quite the opposite, which is like form an empire. You know, everybody's out to get you, <laughs> you know, be, you got to be your own boss. You have to be this entrepreneur, which can, you know, in a lot of ways be a good thing, but can also distance you and, and, and kind of uh, put you in a bubble in a lot of ways from, from information or, or art or, or sides of yourself, you know, you, you weren't able to really have access to or tap into just simply because um, the algorithms and, and uh, things like that kind of prevent you. So to see uh, young people in the 80s kind of get together and and uh, do the best they can to to connect is like is a big deal for me, you know, because I'm I'm kind of uh, just obsessed with underground culture in general. So uh, particularly like rave culture. 
So anything kind of like in that world or related to that world, I, I have a huge interest in. So. so you have to tell me what's going on with the rave scene now. How's the rave scene in Houston? <laughs> uh, the rave scene in Houston is um, a very interesting experiment in in social behavior, I'd say. Because it's not, Houston's a really, really big city, but um, I guess the scene here is much smaller, and from what I've seen and know, I I mean, I haven't traveled everywhere, but uh, from the lens of the internet, it seems like things are operated very differently here. So, um, for example, like in LA, there's the, that's kind of like where the rave scene is booming. Uh, and you have these, these huge underground warehouse parties and sound system culture is really big. Um, and they, and you have these young kids bringing out these like big time acts and they're just kind of like pouring all their money into it. And it very much like resembles stuff in the nineties. And here we're trying in Houston, we're still trying to kind of like form a culture and and an identity around, uh, around the music. Cause the historically Houston is kind of like a, in my opinion, like a hip hop town. You know, if, if you're familiar with, with rap music at all, particularly stuff from the nineties, you know, like DJ screw is from here. So the, uh, this, the science and methods of like slowing down hip hop music, kind of like a lean back, um, relaxed mood is, is very different from like rave music, which is like very high energy, you know? So we're trying to, um, kind of get an identity you know, LA is like really big and fast and New York is, is very cutting edge and cool. You know, the cities, the major cities have still kind of like maintained their, their reputation as far as like energy and what they bring. But Houston doesn't really have that for club music. So it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of small cliques that are, that are forming. And, um, my role or my, my involvement in all that is to kind of uh, break that up or, or prevent that from continuing to happen. Because um, <clears throat> coming from like the punk and metal scene here, it's that's like, uh, as far as like underground culture goes, that's another legendary aspect of, of things that are happening musically the grindcore and punk scene in Houston is like very like legendary in, in it, in that arena, you know? So, uh, I took notes from how they operated, you know, bare bones network of people. I uh, took notes from Topi as well. And I just like applied that to the rave scene here in Houston. And I saw like, <clears throat> there was a bunch of people just starting up around kind of like at the same time. So I wanted to kind of, unify them as much as possible and, and share my knowledge of throwing shows and things like that to, to kind of, uh, encourage or put, encourage an environment where 
the power is is uh, from the jump, like put in the hands of the artists and DJs instead of, you know, things going to just these kind of like these older clueless promoters that just are just looking for somewhere to put their money and, and make money. And they're not really involved or tapped in. So it's it's a it's something that we're kind of like battling with back and forth right now. So you have very small localized parties, which book just artists from maybe Houston and Louisiana. And then you have these bigger new venues that pop up with bigger promoters, but they're not really connected with the local scene. So we're, we're, we're figuring it out. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at, but I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of like keep my eye on like, okay, this person's good. Let's not keep them in the closet. Let's push them out there. They need to play shows, meet these people, blah, blah, blah. You know, even though, you know, the network or the, the, the internet is supposed to kind of connect us all together. You really have to be out there face to face with people still like it is back in the day. Yeah, totally. And it sounds like you're trying to do that, like creating a network in a community rather than having this attitude of like, you know, I own this area and kind of keeping other people out. Like you said, a lot of people on the internet are kind of doing or encouraged to do. And that is something that Toby, Toby did really well. And everyone you meet, you know, everyone's so supportive still, you know, like uh, right. when, whenever you right. reach out to people that were involved in Toby, they're all like really interesting artists in their own right, whether they, you know, still talk about it or not and they're and they're all really supportive and just kind of encouraging of individuals to do what they're passionate about and i love that yeah exactly and i try to i try to spread that as much as possible because that's i mean just like i was saying before just the, even meeting these these people online through these facebook groups they were so excited that you know young people are interested and, and had so much to share. You know, I, when I took that five hour train ride to Mannheim and, and interviewed Boris, I had only spoken to him maybe just a handful of times online. Ben didn't really know what he looked like, but as soon as we connected and hung out, it was like, Oh, okay, well, we should have been friends forever. And, you know, it, um, completely different mindset just a completely different attitude as far as uh, just artists and, and uh, creative people go. It's, it's, it's something that's, that's difficult to come across. So when you're, when you're establishing connections with people and showing support from the jump, it's like, Whoa, why are you here? Are you a good person or not? You know, there's a lot of that. Absolutely. And I think you're right, too, about keeping the bigger promoters out because the I first got into Coil, actually, and I discovered Coil in the in the most appropriate way. I, there was like a local goth club that I would like, you know, go to all the time and spend basically any night they were open there um, from like age 15 onwards. And uh I was ended up like hooking up with one of the bouncers as you do. And uh, uh, I slept over at his house and I used to steal his CDs. (laughs) (laughs) And I stole this coil CD that was uh, the Tainted Love panic split. And I put it on and it was like, I was just like, 
Yeah, I'm from Miami, so you have to understand. Like, we had a we had a good like underground scene, but it's also like Miami, where it's like Gloria Estefan. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's like the overground scene. Uh, and then I put this CD on, and these guys are singing "Tainted Love" like in the most depressing way, where you actually like realize what the song "Tainted Love" is about. And then the other song is "Panic," and then you read the liner notes, and all of the money they raise goes to raising money for AIDS. You know, <laughs> I was just like, who does that? you know like like i'm mind blown right now and then i was just like obsessed with them i didn't know they were cultists or anything like that i just like latched onto them and found anything i could find by coil i was just like hungry for it for years and years and years and then of course that leads you to everything else that those guys are related to but you know, it was appropriate but the my point was that also the the guy who ran the club he's still around and the the club it's not a regular club anymore like every weekend but it has like a you know, a night here and there or like monthly thing or something like that. But he always was like very sure not to let the big promoters in to use the club for like, you know, Thursday night, college night, reggae night or whatever. <laughs> he was just like, right. no, like, I don't want that money in here. It's going to ruin everything. He just like kept it underground. And I think that was really key to why like all of us like, you know, kids like found a home there, you know, it was like safe place for all of us to be. Yeah. What? Yeah. What was so like? What was the music scene like in Miami? Were you so? Were you like a goth kid? Were you? I was a goth kid. Yeah. Uh, it was all like yeah, goth and new wave and EBM and yeah. It was just like any night they were open, we were there because yeah, we were didn't have anywhere else to go basically, and uh, and yeah, it was kind of an interesting time because like. Uh, in Fort Lauderdale, Marilyn Manson was was a local band at the time. They oh, hadn't wow, been okay. signed yet. So we used to go see Marilyn Manson in like when they were called Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids. And they would like they would like play in like pizza shops, like donut shops, you know, like like really all ages places that were like 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 okay, we can play here for free. And then they eventually got this night uh, at the Button South. The club was called for like it was like a two dollars to see them play, uh, like every Friday. So we used to like go up there. Uh, it was like Fort Fort, Fort Lauderdale's a little outside Miami, but we used to go up there and like watch them at the Button South. So that was something we did too. So that was pretty fun you know it's pretty fun like when they got signed I like didn't really understand how famous they were getting because to me they were just like this really weird little like you know South Florida band it was like who would like this except for like us kids you know but they got really big clearly (laughs) there's a lot of us kids around uh, and they used to like have us all line up and like douse us in chocolate syrup. They like baptize us all in like chocolate syrup. So we go like, covered in like whipped cream and syrup and stuff. And it was pretty fun. It was a pretty good time. I, I graduated high school in 95. So this is like, you know, mid 90s. Uh, and uh, I think they got signed in like 94 or something like that. Uh yeah, and there was also like a punk hardcore scene, and there's a lot of metal from Florida too as well. But I mostly went to goth things, and then like the punk, all whatever all ages shows I could get into, basically, you know. But then of course as well, like even on South Beach, like the clubs then they didn't really care about ages then, like they do, like they do now. Now they're like very strict. I, I assume I don't know who knows. Maybe they're not. <laughs> But they really, really didn't care then. Like, we could get in anywhere. It was not a problem, you know? Right. That was fun. <laughs> it was a good place. It was a good place in time to grow up. It was pretty fun. What do you think about his, his, uh, 
his person Marilyn Manson's persona now like how how he's perceived or do you even I pay haven't really paid attention I wow. like I like since the fourth album was I guess it was mechanical animals that's when I kind of dropped off after that so I haven't really paid attention uh since then I've like seen him on like TV shows and stuff. And I'm like, just like, that's weird. All those guys, like they used to all like work in the mall. So they're like these like, you know, cute goth guys that worked in the mall, like record store or CD shop. You know what I mean? It's like, And then they became this like huge thing. So it was just kind of like mind boggling to me. It's like, really? How did those guys get that famous? But they were fun. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely worse bands to have been like your kind of local band when you're in high school. <laughs> That's for sure. They were pretty fun. Yeah, I went to I went to high school uh, with a rapper that's now like top tier, you know, legendary, famous uh, Travis Scott. He's like married to one of the Car- or was married to one of the Kardashians. I went to high school with him and. Uh, it's interesting watching somebody that just had a very average normal background kind of get built into this like iconic figure, you know, cause I, I know, I know the person that you just looked very normal and dressed normal and went to school not this like, you know, super buff tattooed, ready for <laughs> action, superstar. It's, it's interesting watching people turn into that or morph into that. Um, I guess including bands as well, right? Absolutely. It's interesting the older you get to watch, see what happens to all of your different kinds of friends and people you know, and how people like, how you're all at some, I was talking about this with Carl the other day, like at one point you're all like in the same place, you know, like hanging out. And then like people end up with like such different trajectories. It's really kind of wild and like trajectories you never imagined, you know? Yes, I never could yeah. have imagined even because like you don't really have the capacity when you're just hanging out to like even understand what people can turn into. Yeah, I, um, I find I find uh, one of the, one of the few things to kind of like es- escape that cycle is uh, psychic TV, actually. And I've I've watched, you know, I'm from the camp of people that you know, are in their, their late twenties to to early thirties who are, who either have a bunch of books on a shelf at home and, and know about this and that, maybe a couple of things or people that are actually practicing magic and trying to get in touch with each other and, and things like that. And we're, we're all, all of us are like really, and we talk about it a lot. Like we're really aware of, of uh how that type of stuff is perceived now because um you know some of us have have tattoos and and you know clothing and and imagery when we go out and uh from from my understanding correct me if i'm wrong but um it seemed like when when topi started it had this very mysterious kind of corporate almost imagery attached to it like this very kind of like almost like scary i wouldn't say militant but kind of dancing around that into like kind of like this 
psychedelic, like shamanistic kind of like hippie cult thing. And, and now, um, since the, since the passing of, of Genesis, it's gone back to this like mysterious, serious thing. And in, uh, in my early twenties, when, when I was just trying to find people and contact them, it was still seen as, as like this, it kind of, the attitude or its perception was kind of left in, in like the early nineties, which was kind of like this kind of loose, almost like <laughs> grateful deadish type energy. Um, but now since, uh, information is, is a little bit more accessible and, and, uh, you know, you can reach out to people like me and a bunch of others, um, people seem to be more interested in it now. And it's like looked at a little more seriously. You know, when I, when I go, when I was, when I would first go out and I would, you know, have a shirt on or something like that, it would be like, Oh, you listen, you listen in, you, you like Genesis Peorage, you like throbbing gristle, blah, blah, blah. And now when, when people see it, it's like, Oh, Hey, are you still into that? Can you send me some information? Do you, you know, I, I feel like people are, are taking it, it, it's, it's imagery is kind of like come full circle versus kind of just getting watered down or looked at as like an artifact from the eighties or something like, like a lot of things do, you know? Yeah, totally. It's, I think it has relevance now. And especially like with Lady J and Jen's Pandrogeny project too. It's like, uh, I think that has a lot of relevance. I talked to a lot of people where they're like, very much becoming icons of uh, kind of bending identity, including gender, but like in all sorts of ways, because of course the project isn't just about gender, but it's just like breaking down identity, period, and like, you know, coming right. together in new ways. Um, and even like when Lady J passed and Jen was like on this side and Jay was, you know, on the other side, you know, then it also became about this communication that traversed like life and death even and not just like between two people communication breakdown, but like they could actually still communicate even though one of them had passed, you know. And so they're, they're definitely coming from a yeah, very magical alchemical place um, that I hope seeps more and more into the kind of identity, gender uh, discussion in the more mainstream more and more. I don't know if it can, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's where I'm, that's where I'm hoping things are, are continuing to head. You know, I'm hoping that the more people discover like the, the type of people that they are, I, I hope, that people just discover more of, of, um, who they are as an individual and like, you know, who they are inside, which I think was a, a major message or a major point that Toby tried to make, you know? Yeah. And Jen been using like the we pronoun, you know, since like the eighties, you know, and so right. I think Jen would be completely blown away at, you know, the discourse now and how like it's in popular really like popular mainstream cultural discourse now that people are like they them and we and stuff like this i think jen would be like mind blown of course jen to someone on the other side mind blown i'm sure but 
<laughs> I remember like towards the end of her life, like, you know, seeing people writing like she, her and things like that in the bottom of their emails. And Jen was just like, I can't even believe this is happening. Like was so excited about that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I love that, that you put like on your Instagram profile, for instance, you know, an that you're an individuality activist, explore yourself and confuse authority. I think, yeah, I think people should have as many op as many options as possible to express themselves, you know, and I hope that it encourages experimentation. You know, you're starting to see it a little more here and there and in, in, in uh, like rave culture and club culture. People are, are getting more experimental. You're seeing kind of like, you know, the 90s club kid type thing happening, springing up again. But no one no one is rushing to uh claim anything or throw a name on anything just yet which i'm i'm excited about i'm just like yes, yeah good keep weirder keep getting weirder <laughs> keep getting weirder that's a good slogan <laughs> i am all for that uh yeah because the universe is much weirder than people like to admit <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it can be it can be pretty spooky sometimes you know, because I'm 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 somebody that that grew up with the internet. You know, I I was I started on on dial up when at, at an age where I could like actually digest what was going on and and um, a, a lot of people my age still have this kind of exploratory attitude towards the internet, and uh, we we crave um, change and we crave things for, for things to be interesting and, and odd and weird uh, because the, the internet makes us see so much of the same stuff all the time, you know? Um, so in any way we can encourage that, we try to. And I think uh, rave culture is like a, is a great outlet for that currently right now, especially, especially for um, people in you know queer communities and um, just just communities that don't have as much of a voice in general. You know, it's uh it's it's a really it's really exciting, but it's um it's kind of it's kind of an uphill battle. You know when you especially when I started throwing raves back in like 2017, 2018, you kind of had to like teach people how to party again. You know, you, I'm 33 and, and when, you know, 18, 19 year old people were showing up to these parties, they didn't know how to interact with people. They didn't really know how to dance there wasn't a whole lot of social interaction, you know, cause these are all kids that just grew up playing video games and watching the Disney channel. They don't, they don't really have like any, any, any real situations to grasp onto. So when they become young adults, they're just like, they want to go out and have fun, but they have no idea. So yeah, it they've was, just been in their rooms this whole time. <laughs> so it's a lot, you have to keep that in mind when throwing parties, you know, and, and that's, that's one thing is that's like a, a key factor in, in Houston having an identity, you know, because especially after COVID, because we've all been in 
some people have spent an entire year inside or not going to work and they forget how to have a good time. They forget how to let loose or, you know, how to express themselves in a way they would really want to. So, um, you have to sort through all kinds of drama and muck and internet hearsay and try to remind people just to get to the point of like, okay, is the music good? Have a good time. Who cares? No one's looking at you, <laughs> you know, have fun. Not everybody is, you know, up like this with their phone, taking videos of you. They want to have fun too. And, you know, I, have, I, I constantly at my own parties, I'd have to, I, I would uh, <laughs> purposely not let anyone know that like I was the one throwing the party. I would like to, you know, undercover boss kind of run around and be like, are you having a good time? Loosen up a little bit. <laughs> Whose party is this? Do you like the music? Well, you know, just kind of encourage people to like not hold on tight to their drink, which is still a thing, still a thing. We're, we're just now coming out of that. So anytime I see somebody dressed wild or dancing wild, I'm like, who are you? More of you. <laughs> you know. I'm glad to hear that people are coming out of that. Cause I get, I got worried like where people's imagination would go. Cause I feel like the internet can be so passive. I mean, I love like the idea that people can like have different identities online or at least before like Facebook and stuff were policing all of that kind of thing as much like people were able to kind of explore different identities online. That's great. But I feel like so much of it is just so passive where you're just like looking at whatever's being fed to you instead of like having Very to kind of develop your imagination and like figure out what you're going to do or... Yeah, it, it things are things are very like labeled and very aesthetic based. You know, if you're, you know, if you're not goth, you're punk, and if you're not, it's like, are we back in middle school? But uh, it, that's kind of where we have to start over again in a way. You know, you, you start there, and things kind of blend together, and and people are just like, oh, I'm just me now. And this is me now. And that morphs and changes. And it's like the Twilight Zone. Because, you know, I a lot of a lot of my friends, we remember what it was like before all that. You know, you would hang out with people and spend all day with them. And you you would just existed with each other and you had fun and and um not everybody was a stranger, you know. And these days, it's that's very much the case. You you might be talking to somebody for years online, but then you you meet at a club one night, and you're you know you're stiff as a board, and so are they. And and a, a lot of people are finally shaking away from that. It's it's just now, just now. There's like stuff to do. You know what I mean? It's not like once a year there's this one show it, it, it used to be like that for a long time i mean forget about covid it's it the internet boomed and and internet gaming online gaming and video games boomed and we all just stayed indoors for a long time forgot everything i'm glad people are going out again is this when you when you started throwing parties is this when you got your dj name voices in your head so um, 
my 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 DJ name when I started throwing parties was Human Simulator, and I wanted to uh, just like um, the entity the entity I created for throwing parties. I wanted to like make a name that was suggestive but didn't mean anything, and uh, that was the same idea with Voices in Your Head, and that's that was the project I had right before I started throwing parties. Um, These are both and, great names. Thank you. <laughs> I, I try. I I I try to implement like um, a silly, mischievous uh, element to like when I'm cr- creating the names of stuff, and I try to take advantage as much as possible. Like what I can, you know, how can I use this creatively? So in the names, it's definitely that that way. Um, but voices in your head is is my favorite project. It's my biggest project. It's the stuff that I, I put the most work into. Um, but I, I, I took a break from it so I could focus on throwing parties. And after I did that for two or three years, I was like, okay, I figured out the lay of the land. I can, I can go back to focusing on my other projects. And so I'm almost ready to go back and start doing episodes. But there's 11 of them online right now. They're on uh, my SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash human simulator 23. And um, that project is uh, the best way to describe it off the top of my head. They're like one hour sound collages um, that are, that are blends of anything from, 80s, 90s commercials to uh, me ordering fast food to uh, having conversations with strangers at parties to um, weird scripted stuff that I make with my friends. So it's just kind of like, you know, if you found like a weird headset on the ground, like a weird pair of headphones and no matter like what you plug them into, you would just it would just be taken over by random stuff that seemed to come together, but not really. I always want to make it seem like it's almost maybe telling a story. It's just a a, a water slide of of sounds. And um, I have guests on there sometimes. Hopefully, you you'll be a guest. I'd love to have you on as a guest. Sure. And uh, all that requires is just. Um, you or whoever I do an episode with, hopefully this will encourage people to reach out. Um, just send me five, six songs you really like. Is the more random the better, and uh, match that up with like five or six audio clips, and they could be anything, you know, uh, stuff, trailers from movies, all kinds of stuff. Um, an episode that people really like quite a bit, and uh, you mentioned before, was uh, the episode I did with uh, Paul B. Hampshire, Buddy B. Um, he was the first person I did an episode with uh, via email because uh, he travels a lot between uh, London and, and Thailand. So uh, I reached out to him uh, right before uh, or a little before he started doing this uh Thai capsule project, which is like poetry based. So he would just send me recordings of like him walking around these markets and like saying really weird stuff into his phone. And 
you know, that was, that was just, it's just a blast. It's fun to do. And, and, um, I find it to be a very interesting way to kind of get to know someone, you know, cause they're, you know, you're specifically picking out all this stuff and it's stuff that you like, and it gives you a chance to, to be creative and, you know, you have kind of free reign to record whatever it could be, you know, screaming or, you know, <laughs> or whispering or anything. And, and it's fun for me to, to put it all together. Cause, um, I, I, I look at it from like a DJ perspective. So I record it all live in one take and I just go with the flow and blend it together. And it's so much fun. That's and, the best uh, way. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that goes all the way back from being inspired by a lot of the collage work and, and stuff I saw from like Topi imagery and things like that. And, uh, it's an art form I highly encourage anybody getting into. It's, it doesn't take a whole lot of work to find some, some magazines or some books and just cut them up and piece things together. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll start doing that with your clothes. And <laughs> Identity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, no, I love, that's why I love the kind of so much because they're, you know, anybody can do it with whatever medium they're, they're into or multiple mediums. You can cut up sound, you can cut up images, words, yeah, clothes, fashion, identity, perform, do it with performance art. This is like any, anything that you do, you can, you can cut it up and, it always, yeah, ends up telling some sort of interesting story, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's that's why I think your podcast is great because uh, you have, like, you have a lot of really professional people on. And to have, you know, for, for me, someone that's a listener, to, to hear th- this type of, uh, this language being spoken from people that are, you know, highly educated, you know, that are really professional, you know, it's, it's, it's really inspirational because most, most of the time we just, you know, have ourselves, <laughs> you know, that we communicate to and we, we're just, we kind of try to nudge things along on our own, but seriously, like you, uh, Carl, Tom Banger, Paul, Paul B. Hampshire is great um you guys like reaching out to y'all is is like a really big inspiration for us you know um the movies the movies that y'all work on the collages that y'all put out do you have like you have an etsy right where you where you put out yeah i just made one because carl carl had put some of our collages that we made for some shows that we did together on his trapar site but, you know, Carl's so so busy. He has so many things going on. And then I made all these new collages and I thought instead of like bugging him or waiting for him to have to load these up to his site, I'll just make an Etsy and throw things up there and then I can deal with shipping it or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I like your, I like your style as well with like the words that come out of the head. Yeah, that happened after my friend got murdered. Um, I, I started making portraits of her with that. And I think it was like a way to like, I don't know, have her saying things again. Um, and then I just started making portraits of all sorts of people who had passed away. And then I was like, wait, I can make these portraits of all sorts of different people and not just dead people. 
let's stop being so morose, Vanessa. I go there like real fast. Um, but of course she was murdered. So it's understandable. So then I started making portraits of like other people and just like taking Carl's photos because Carl has like so many photos laying around, like actual printed photos. So I take like photos, people like Zev and different people that he'd shot uh, and Peter Christopherson and John Balance from Coil, things like that. And then I started making collages of them and yeah, now everybody in my in my art gets these like word halos because I don't know. It's I guess it's a nice way to make them be able to say something. Like see see what this image says. See what this person from this magazine says. You know. Mm. Have you ever thought about like putting out a video on like your process or anything like that? Yeah, I guess I should do that. I talk about it at our Patreon a lot, but I haven't made like a video of it. Um, what I like to do is I like to make the collage and then after I have a bunch of them or sometimes just one, but usually I, I record Carl's a little studio in our house. So I'll like take my scrapbook of collages and I'll bring them into his studio and then I'll just like record myself reading the cut ups one by one so that they become you know spoken word recordings and then like I've been working with this guy Pete Murphy in the UK and then this uh, I have like a few people that I'll just like send them like these word poems and then they can set them to music or do whatever they want with them I don't I don't care what people do do whatever you want like Pete Murphy's fun for for example, because he's he he at first would just set them to music, but then he asked me one day, like, can I cut up the poems? I'm like, of course you can. Like <laughs> they're cut ups, like cut up the cut ups, of course you can, you know? Like do whatever you want with them. So now he's like started cutting them up and like making me say all these different things that I'm not actually saying in in the recordings, but it's kind of fun to like watch him like, yeah, come up with all these like stories for that I'm reciting now, <laughs> set to music. Um, I love it. So I can send you some of those too, if you want. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I, I love seeing any any images of your work. You, you and Carl are so busy. Both of y'all are so busy. It's, it's really inspiring. Yeah, that's just what we do. Like, that's what I was doing all day today, Saturday, before I talked to you. I was just like, had music on and sitting there making collages, like, like for hours. I just do it for hours. It's like, a, I don't know. It's my place. I like to be. <laughs> that seems to be like one thing that is in common with almost everybody I know that is aware of magic, practices magic. They're all like incredibly great collage artists. <laughs> like my, true. My, mentor, my mentor, David Lejeune, um, who's like a legendary uh, poet and collage artist here in Houston, uh, he has these... And I've I've made um, I think one of the first like interview style things I ever did on video was with him at his house. Uh, if you on the on the Body Drip Vimeo account, um, that's like one of the first videos I posted. But he does these like like gigantic books, like these like Bibles full of like hardcore like pornographic gay like gay pornographic collages that are just like these labyrinths of different worlds and and um one thing that i, I hopefully I'll, I'll understand someday but maybe you can elaborate on this it's just like how you can tell when somebody has been making collages a long time even though the art form is so random it seems like but it's just 
I mean, I'm, I mean, it can, I can sound silly and be like the way he cuts is blah, 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 but it's, you can tell when somebody, or at least it seems like you can tell when somebody is very experienced, they've been doing a long time. Like, uh, uh, Hannah Haddix, for example, I don't know if you, if you're familiar with her, but she was like really good friends with Jen. Like she, she like makes album art for, for all kinds of bands and stuff. And like, just, you can take a look at one of her pieces and be like, damn she's been doing this a long time what is like what is that you think i think this is just them getting into this zone mind frame you know they just like yeah. get into it and they're just like yeah cutting with the razor and putting things together hannah's scott lashes are so elaborate they're amazing right you know but it's i think there's something really inherently magical about the, about the cut up method and and making collage work and i think it's because it's reflects like uh like the way our identity is put together like people like to imagine we have this like seamless identity like I'm born this way and this is how I grew up and it's all biological or whatever or biological and cultural but like really like we're like very fragmented underneath the surface and we're kind of all hanging together by a thread you know <laughs> like it's yeah. really not that hard to kind of like burst that fantasy bubble and I think that's why like like with the trans discourse right now, like why so many people are just like so like freaked out in the mainstream because it, it makes them realize like, hey, maybe your identity isn't so solid either. And maybe you could transform and that like terrifies people. You know, people want to believe like I am this way. I was born this way. I'm a Christian. I'm a white, whatever, blah, blah. And they like so hold on to it. And if you like try to nudge that or shake it at all, they just like completely freak out. They're so defensive. You know, and so I think that's why it's even more important just to keep cutting it up <laughs> because uh, I think we are very malleable at the end of the day and uh, a lot more malleable than, yeah, society wants us to think. And there's a lot of like creative potential that people aren't utilizing because they are so stuck in these little boxes that they've been raised to believe are fact, you know, and it's not, it's not fact. Where do you, where do you think... Where do you think that that's headed, by the way? Because as somebody, as somebody that, you know, is very passionate about underground culture and, um, you know, especially stuff from the past, you would think that, like, why couldn't we have taken care of this in the 80s? Why, why, why do things keep repeating themselves, but the, the wheel seems to get smaller and smaller? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, because there's a huge pushback against it. It's like the same period you see like this growth and like creative kind of blooming, uh, you know, in one side. Then you see this like really like fucking, you know, horrendous pushback on the other side to like almost fascism. You know, it's like uh, right. there's like a really, really strong pull not to let people, you know, self-actualize, individuate, use their real, real like full creative potential. You saw it in like the 1960s. You saw it in the 1980s. You're seeing it again now. Um, yeah. And and unfortunately, those uh <laughs> forces that clamp down you know they've got a lot of structure structural power behind them um in, intentionally that's uh, trying to keep people in their place uh yeah and it fucking sucks <laughs> yeah hopefully the internet will like you know give us the power to kind of like 
preserve a lot of this important underground culture and like allow it to be repackaged in like a digestible way. You know, I think that's, that's why a lot of, a lot of history repeats itself is because, you know, for, for, you know, a, a gigantic list of reasons, you know, we're, we're taught to look at things just even 10 years ago, 15 years ago is almost a joke. You know, we're, we're taught to look at things from the past as like silly ignorance. And we know better now because it's the future. And, you know, in actuality, a lot of things just keep repeating themselves. And a lot of um, important uh, cultural movements and, and, and uh, times in history, like just, just kind of get forgotten about and, and, uh, or, the, or they become buffed out to the point where they're just, they're theme parks. You know, I, I, it breaks my heart to think that punk rock will just be remembered as like green day and the Ramones and like fashion. The it was a fashion trend or yeah. Hot topic. Like it's, it, it, and I think, um, we're, we're doomed to, to keep reliving different versions of that unless we, we make an effort to shed light on that stuff. You know, the, the only reason why I'm, I, I have knowledge on, on underground culture at all is from, you know, the huge stack of books that I get, uh, that I collect and the documentaries that I watch and things like that. But, you know, those were all made by other creative people like me. So, and, and that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I try to document Toby stuff as much as I can, because, you know, there's, there's, there's a handful of, of documentaries and things like that, but, to, this is such a big story. You kind of like you have to visit all kinds of people, and that and and I would hate for that to get lost to time. Like that would be a, a, that would be awful. In my in my opinion, you know, because it's it's a movement that that is involved with so many other things. Like um, like why doesn't why doesn't Toby get talked about more in like acid house culture, like, and like electronic dance music had a major, major role. Like when I went, when I went over to uh, Boris's house in Mannheim, like he was talking to me about living in New York and like throwing some of the first acid house parties and, and psychic TV being a part of that. And I'm like, where do I hear about this? I haven't heard about this. I haven't read about this, you know? man, I, I better hit record or else, you know, who people need to hear this stuff. I, I don't want, I don't want rave culture just to be, you know, the movie party monster, <laughs> you know, or, or just, or, or a simple little book that sums up everything really quickly. You know, but people, people need to know that as as much division as it as there as things seem to be as as divided as things seem to be on the surface on in the underground that's when a lot of people work together and and a lot of ideas were traded and there's there's some genres of music that haven't forgotten that but most have you know like thankfully you know you'd be a lot of people would be shocked to know that like well at least here in houston you know people 
people make and print zines. People still Xerox stuff. You know, <laughs> you, you can walk up to a light pole and find out about a show happening that week. You know, people's people still do that. And and um it's just gonna get lost and rediscovered over and over <laughs> unless we you know we preserve it, but not only that, but like make it digestible. Don't make it some boring thing, you know, that we have to sift through and dig through. And you know, I think a lot of the chaos magicians in the eighties for that, because you know, Aleister Crowley is not it's not easy to read through. <laughs> <laughs> You know, spare is not easy to read through. A lot of this stuff is difficult to understand. So, you know, the 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 bits and pieces of information we have, we really, really treasure. And, uh, you know, just recently with the, uh, the Coombs Transmission BBC documentary, I don't know if you saw that, but that was... I haven't seen it yet. That was fascinating. Um, Jen's movie that's not talked about a whole lot, uh, Bite of the Twin so good and um but i think yeah you, that information's there it's just there's there's not many vehicles for it you know what i mean like uh <clears throat> so i i think uh we just need to make this type of stuff more accessible before it gets kind of like lost lost in time Sp including stuff that's happening right now yeah, I, I I bought a camera for a couple hundred dollars online, found a free video editing software and just taught myself how to do it, you know, just like anybody else that I know. And I'm like, shit, I need to get going. I need to record this and that because, you know, I have a huge variety of friends and they're all busy doing creative stuff. And, you know, uh, all, I find a lot of it really important, especially in music. It's music is going so fast. It's it's almost impossible to keep track of. Very cool. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to be sure to mention that we didn't get to? Um just uh anybody anybody who's watching or listening, just reach out to me. Reach out to me on Instagram, uh email me. Um, find me on SoundCloud, whatever. I love to collaborate with people. Uh, I love to talk about magic, love to talk about music, obviously. Um, yeah. I, and, and especially, um, Topi people reach out to me. If you're friends with Tom, if you had anything to do with Sacramento, Austin, Colorado, any of the stuff that went down in the eighties and the nineties, please reach out. Um, I'm currently utilizing all my vacation time and flight miles to visit you people and, and uh, interview y'all. So love to hear your story. Um, yeah. Cause like you said, there's like, I mean, there's like tens of thousands of people involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm particularly trying to get in touch with people that ran like access points. Mm -hmm. uh, love to get a hold of Carl at some point. You know, I can make that happen. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I have connection. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, just just uh, you know, follow me on on Vimeo. Uh, 
I use that instead of YouTube because you know, copyright issues and things like that. I, I, I take a lot of videos of like DJs and, and bands performing, particularly in the Houston area. And I'm always uploading stuff. So yeah, um, check me out. Uh, I run a, a anti-brand that platform that's dedicated to documenting and showcasing a lot of stuff called body drip. Um, I'm, I'm going to be making a new run of shirts for that soon. So be on the lookout and that's it. Yeah. Just, um, if you're an artist out there and you do anything close to what I do, like, you know, don't hide in the dark, <laughs> you know, let's work together. Let's reach out. Let's at least communicate, you know, or, or share resources or something. But yeah, I, um, that's why I'm here. That's what I do. You know, I'm just a, an underground DIY artist trying to, you know, support the mission. <laughs> it's important. And I think, you know, underground spaces are important too, because this is where a lot of people, like you said, queer people, outsiders, people that don't have a good home life, you know, it's where a lot of kids like, you know, find a place and find community. And it's important to preserve these spaces. I, I just like uh, this guy that I met at the Occulture Conference in Berlin, Last year, I was on a panel or discussion with him named Freak Waller. He was in Amsterdam, um, and he I'm going to interview him soon. He just became the nightmare in Amsterdam because he's apparently like, you know, these like underground spaces and things are starting to be like really commodified in Amsterdam. And like there was a real fight against it because, you know, you know, there needs to be places that aren't just capitalist little uh, enterprises, you know, where people can like, yeah, be creative and find community and not be exploited and turned into like, yeah, just another fashion trend, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I would love to encourage young people just like get creative with shows and venues. It doesn't matter if you live in a small town, if you have two or three friends, pull your money together start a band, start, do something. If you're passionate about something and you feel like you need to express that or show other people, just do what you can, do what you can to get it out there, please. We want to hear it. We want to see it. Um, me and the rest of the young people, we want, we need substance in the internet age. That's what we're looking for, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's not impossible to throw your own shows. It's still, you can still do it. You don't have to rely on venues and promoters. Uh, some of our, our best places to go to shows out here are houses and rented warehouses. Don't be afraid. If you see a note, a phone number on a dingy building, call it up. <laughs> see what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's my message. You know, that's what I, that's what I try to encourage. Just, just, just go for it. Just create your own scene um encourage other people to do the same uh do what you can to bring people that don't have any idea they exist together that's that's the key do multi-genre events you know bring bring vendors and artists and and different types of people together um because you know, we need each other we definitely need each other especially right now Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. 
You've just heard a discussion with Zach Elkins. Be sure to follow him on Instagram at humansimulator23 and follow his anti-brand Body Drip at body underscore drip at Instagram. Huge thanks to Carl Abrahamson for providing the intro and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. You can check out more of his music and mine at Highbrow Low Life's Bandcamp page. Visit highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com where all of our music is Name Your Price. And now, a selection from Voices in Your Head featuring Paul B. Hampshire. Enjoy. You can find the full version of this at soundcloud.com forward slash human simulator 23. This is Voices Will Help. of the internet and we thought you might want to come along it'll be cool now here's a little background when we installed internet access on our computer i got the whole family involved it's true everybody had their own tablet 
tasks to do. It was a lot of work, but it was really worth it. Mm. Now that I've gotten on the internet, I'd rather be on my computer than doing just about anything. It's really cool. The internet gave us a whole world of exciting new possibilities. So I guess this is a story of how it changed our lives. Maybe it will yours too, with the Kid's Guide to the Internet.